This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sarah, have you called the guy about the bats? This is why I do not want a cabin in Minnesota. Minnesota is my happy place. Uh, Remind me to call it lunch. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft, also a TV writer and producer living in L.A., On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we'll talk about anxiety, the kind we get when we're about to write a script, and you may get for a million other reasons. Is there hope? We're also going to have a debate about Sarah's cabins in Minnesota. We always say don't treat a gift like a burden, but when is a gift a burden? Are Sarah's cabins a wonderful family legacy or an albatross around her neck? Plus, our weekly Hollywood hack. And Liz, we want to give everyone a heads up that this September is Self-Improvement September. So to celebrate every day of the month, we are going to post a picture on Instagram of something that improves our lives in Hollywood. We'd love for you to join us. Post a picture of something that improves your life wherever you live and use the hashtag HappierInHollywood. Okay, Sarah, before we get started, we wanted to read a listener email. For those of you who may not remember, in episode 10, we talked about pitching. And I detailed my pre-pitch routine, which includes taking a beta blocker to calm my nerves. We're going to be talking about nerves (laughs) a lot in this episode. I talked about how it's used by pianists to calm their nerves and to keep their fingers from shaking as they play. Um, But then we received this email from a pianist and a listener of our show. Yeah, and the subject line is great. It says, beta blockers, dot, 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 excuse me, what? (laughs) (laughs) So this is an email from Maria in Germany, actually. And she says, I'm a big fan of your show. I want to say that up front. But I don't find it okay that you endorse taking beta blockers on your podcast. And I say that because I'm a pianist and performance coach for musicians, and my job is to help other classical musicians thrive on stage in what I also call a fundamentally insane (laughs) industry. Beta blockers don't only block your adrenaline, that actually sounds harmless, but they mess with your heart rate. Beta blockers are medication for people with heart conditions, and she has some um, citations from Wikipedia. So she says, this topic is a serious one in the classical music industry, because there are people that not only take these pills once in a while, but on a regular basis. Most importantly, the topic isn't much talked about, so people don't learn about the side effects. Knowledge is important so that people can make an informed decision. One serious side effect for musicians is that they stop caring about the music and the contact with the audience. The drugs numb them a little, you could say. 
So they perform the movements all very well, but not the intention of the music. And that takes an emotional toll. No one talks about that, too. What is the point of having to drug yourself to do your job? And I'm talking specifically about the musician's situation. The musician's body, as an expressive artist, is not a machine that we can shut up with a pill. And there are more ways to dealing with performance anxiety. Wow. So Maria definitely has a strong opinion about beta blockers. That's fascinating. Yeah. And it certainly makes sense that as a musician, you wouldn't want to sort of remove your own emotions and feelings from the music you're playing. Yes. Now, on beta blockers, I personally don't experience any sort of numbing effect. Mm-hmm. Um But, you know, everyone should do what's right for them. What's right for me is to (laughs) take a beta blocker one hour before I have to do a network pitch. Yes. And I heard from my friend Steve, there are different kinds of beta blockers. Steve is a doctor, I should say. Um, He's not just like a random dude on a corner. (laughs) And he reminded me that there are different kinds of beta blockers that accomplish different things. Yes. But thank you, Maria, for that feedback. And to you pianists out there, very interesting controversy. Yes. Now for a segment we call from the treadmill desks of where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, what's most pressing is anxiety, specifically writing anxiety. Yes, we are about to write our first script for the new show for the people that we're working on, and we're getting that sick feeling. (laughs) Um, For some reason, no matter how many years we spend doing this job, we still get anxious when we have to produce an actual script. And I get it worse than you do. I mean, I'll be really, uh, you know, like on the floor. Yeah, you do get it bad. Um, But we know someone who gets it even worse. Our friend and fellow TV writer, Bill Krebs. Yeah, Bill is an amazing, (laughs) hilarious writer who always delivers, and yet he suffers terribly from writer anxiety. We should talk to him. Yes. Hey, Bill. Hey. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for talking to us today. Sure. Bill, you've been a working writer in both drama and comedy for years. You were on Workaholics. You spent four seasons on Franklin and Bash. You were on the staff of the critically acclaimed Red Band Society. And, of course, you were also on The Family, starring Joan Allen with us. Currently, you're on NBC's much-anticipated Good Girls, starring Christina Hendricks. Soon to be critically acclaimed. Yes, soon to be critically acclaimed as well. But despite all of these credits, you still experience massive anxiety. Are we right? (laughs) I'm having anxiety just thinking about anxiety right now. (laughs) Yes, that is very accurate. What we've been talking about is how the anxiety, the particular kind of anxiety that comes on when you have to go off and write a script. Yeah, that's the worst kind. It's uh, really unfortunate that writing is a component of being a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill, when does it start? Does it start like early on in the process at like outline or is it just when you're like staring at the empty computer screen for to write a script? Well, for me, it starts the second I get on the show. I oh, mean, wow. when you when you get on a show, every it's a total reset. So yes. your bosses don't really know, you know, what you're capable of. They know what, you know, you've given them a sample. They don't know if that sample is a year old or if it's three years old or if you got any help on it. They don't know anything other than what they've heard from other people, but they haven't experienced anything. So to me, I'm always like, it's this tsunami that's coming at me from the moment I get in the room (laughs) until, you know, I'm set off to write anything. And it's crippling. 
<laughs> it's just abject fear from the moment I'm there. And then once you get on that page, it's even worse because I feel like, you know, I've forgotten how I've, that I've never done this before. <laughs> and how does it manifest? Like, do you have nightmares? Do you have stomach aches? Oh, yeah. First of all, I think the worst thing for me is, like, obsessing. I'm just constantly thinking about it. I'm just constantly in my head. And then that triggers, I think, everything else that follows. So, you know, reoccurring nightmares. I have this one I've had for years, which is almost so obvious it's cliche, but it's I'm getting on a plane, and it's an international flight, one of those, like, double-decker planes. And um, I'm headed towards my seat, and the flight attendant stops me and says, no, no, no. You're going the wrong way, and they lead me into the cockpit. Oh my God! <laughs> and as I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm just here to to fly overseas. Like, yeah, they think I'm kidding. I then meet my crew, and my crew thinks I'm kidding, and they usher me into the captain's seat. Oh, and man. it's my turn to fly this plane, and I then just instinctively go to those levers that you push to make the jets go, and we start barreling down the runway, and I start pushing buttons, just guessing intuitively, and it, it's working. <laughs> and I can't believe it. We're going faster and faster and faster. And then right when we get to the end of the runway, I hit another button and all these sirens go off. <laughs> and the, the guy next to me, the co-pilot, looks over and he panics because he realizes in that moment that I'm not the captain. Oh, and, then I, and then he starts screaming. Everyone starts screaming. And then I usually wake up. Oh, my God. And I think a lot of writers have this. It's just, you know, imposter syndrome. You, you think that you've sold them on a bill of goods that, you know, you can't deliver on. And and they and you won't know until they read and until they see that product on the page. And after you've turned in something and people respond well, does it start to go away? Like, I know for me, the more scripts I write for the same show, the less anxiety I have. Do you experience that or do you yeah, stay no, at that Yeah, if I level? get good feedback, it's immediately gone. It's just a weight lifted from my shoulders. And I think that validation is also the problem because a lot of people just don't offer it. You know, they just right. assume you're an adult and you don't need it and you're there to do a job. And if you've done your job, then it's all good enough. But I unfortunately like it and I like hearing <laughs> feedback. I actually have a folder. Like if a showrunner sends me a good email about a script, I actually have a folder of those emails that I keep on my computer that I go back over every now and then just to remind myself that I was able to do this uh, at a previous time. That's a good idea. And it's very endearing. Yes. <laughs> but the inverse works also, which is if you get bad feedback mm. or if your script is rewritten, which, you know, they always are, and you aren't included in that process or you just don't understand why it's being rewritten, then I go into a whole nother tailspin of, am I done? Am I finished? And then I begin overthinking. And then when I, if I get another script, it's a whole nother level of hell that I have to descend into uh, to get out of that one. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a struggle. I think what people may not realize is that this is incredibly common yes. for writers. Like we know so many writers who will literally end up in the hospital. Somebody we know who's like one of the most successful writers in Hollywood 
would every single script end up in the hospital because he would get so incredibly anxious. I had an anxiety attack when we were doing Women's Murder Club that landed me in the hospital. Yes, we were in the emergency room all night with Sarah's chest pains. Yeah, it was, it was really fun. Yeah, uh, I, you know, every show I'm on, I have this conversation with someone. I actually just had it on the show we're on now with someone, and it's all the same issue. It's they fear that they're going to be found out. This is the show that they're going to be found out, that they are <laughs> fake, that they can't pull it off. So what do you do, Bill, to manage it? Anything? Like, do you meditate? Do I'm you a, drink? I'm a heavy drinker. Okay, that's just a <laughs> no, I, look, I, I went to therapy for many, many years. And I think cognitive behavioral therapy helped me kind of manage my thoughts. But it seems that every time I get in the same situation, that stuff doesn't seem to help me. The skill sets don't ever really match up exactly into the situation I'm in. And so I've sort of made my own shorthand of how to get through things. Because mm. when that blank page is staring at you, it's so intimidating. I actually had one therapist tell me something that helped me through all of this, which was, he said, the fear you feel is the juice. He's mm. like, use it oh. to your advantage. He's like, fear is just adrenaline, and it's how you're interpreting that adrenaline. So, you know, when you're at the front row of a concert and you're super excited, you have the same amount of adrenaline in you as you do when you're staring at that blank page and you're freaking out about it. You're just interpreting that adrenaline differently. So if you can interpret it as something positive, then you can actually use it as energy to help you get through the process. And that has helped me a lot because I know that if I just sit down and start doing it, that fear will ultimately turn into something that is ultimately rewarding because I can finish the project. And for me, that's just finishing is the victory now. A lot of times you want to finish and you want to make it perfect and you want to make it great. But if I can just get to the end of it, to me, a lot of the anxiety goes away. And I'm already there. If I can just have stuff on the page, because I think what a lot of people are worried about is that they're not even going to be able to accomplish the task. Yeah. Right. What I love about what your therapist said and that advice is that I feel like it could apply to anyone in any profession. You know, it's not just advice for writers. It's like if you're trying to sell an insurance policy and you're nervous, you can use that adrenaline to make a sale, right? Yeah, and before I became a writer, I used to work in marketing, and I um, I have to give these presentations to these, like, board of director guys, and they were older guys who had a lot more experience than I did, and I, again, had that imposter feeling. Like, I would go into these meetings, and I had no idea what I was really doing or how they thought I was qualified to do any of this. And it would be so nerve-wracking, and I'd overthink everything. And I remember one of the guys pulled me aside one time. He goes, you know, your job when you're in there is just to present 1% more knowledge than what we know. Mm. He's like, you don't have to wow us. You just have to be 1% better. (laughs) He's like, if you're 1% better, then we're all fooled. And so that has also really helped me where I'm like, God, I don't really have to nail it. I don't have to hit it out of the park. But if I just get 1% better, then, you know, it alleviates the anxiety somewhat also. Yeah. And with writing, it really is having that one, just having one finished draft because you can just keep working on it. It doesn't have to be perfect the first time. We can go back in. Yeah. And I think that for me, there's two points, kind of two parts to my brain. There's like the intellectual side and there's the emotional side. You're chasing a feeling always. And I have a lot of friends who have a hard time even getting started writing 
because they want to feel like it's the right time to write or like they have this inspiration right. or that everything is coming at once. And this is, this is now I'm supposed to sit down and capture all this <laughs> lightning. And I think when you chase the feeling, it's paralyzing because a lot of times just having the knowledge or the intellectual side, which is, you know what the scene's going to be about, or you know what the act's going to be about. If you just put that down on the page and don't address whether or not you feel like it's right or wrong, then you've already, you can move on to the next scene or move on to the next element of it and you don't get paralyzed and you actually have a finished product that you can go back to and then apply all the emotional stuff and say, oh, this doesn't feel right. Why doesn't it feel right? And you can then dissect it at that point. Yes, exactly. Well, Bill, I hope that you remember all of this when you go <laughs> off to write your first script for Good Girls and that you're not paralyzed on the ground <laughs> obsessing. Yeah, I actually am sweating even thinking about it because it's coming up real quick here. Oh, that's funny. Um, well, thank you for talking to us, and we'll all have to get together for a nice teeth-grinding session soon. <laughs> all right, thanks so much, Kathy. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Do you suffer from anxiety? What do you do to keep yourself calm and focused on the task at hand? Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com or even better, leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY-21. Coming up, Liz tries to convince me that my beloved Minnesota cabins are dragging me down. But first, a word from our sponsor. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, Liz, now it's time for a segment we call LVS, Liz versus Sarah, in which we discuss slash debate something we may not see eye to eye on. And today we're talking about my mom's lake cabins. Are they a gift or a burden? Well, I have to start by saying it's interesting that you call them your mom's lake cabins because <laughs> they're kind of yours at this point. Um, I happen to think they're weighing you down. Sarah has several cabins in Minnesota, but to start the story, we have to hear about your cabins and how they came to you. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so 60 years ago, my great uncle bought a tiny little cabin 
on a dirt road on a lake in northern Minnesota. Um, and he left it to my grandparents, who left it to my mom. My mom has kind of added on to it. And then over the years, she would buy our neighbors' cabins. And so we now have four cabins. And then when she sold her house in Kansas City, she built a year-round house in Minnesota. So now I have four cabins and a house on the same dirt road <laughs> in northern Minnesota. And this is where we're all going if there's a zombie apocalypse. Oh, yeah. Believe me. Yes. it's Well, it's not ready yet, but I'll be working on it because you know how I am with emergencies. And, you know, my mom has Alzheimer's. So three years ago when my stepdad died, the cabins in the house all sort of became my responsibility. And we've mentioned on the show that you rent these cabins out because, you know, it's expensive to have these cabins, so you need to pay for themselves. It is incredibly expensive to have these cabins. They're constantly <laughs> like, oh, you have to do a new dock. Yeah. That's $8,000 because the lake froze. Yeah, there was an unprecedented ice event. Yes. <laughs> um, the septic system needs to be refurbished. The, the pipes froze in the house this yeah. year. Somebody fell through the deck yeah. <laughs> because the wood was rotted. I mean, it's just one thing. Thing after another. Yeah. So you have all that upkeep to sort of maintain. You do have caretakers. Yes, we have wonderful caretakers. Um, but you do all the rentals, and that's very time-consuming. It is. I get VRBO requests nonstop, constantly have to, you know, respond to them, send rental agreements, answer questions. Yeah, it's a, And people have a lot of questions. I can really say do. as someone who's there when they call you to ask them. <laughs> And for anyone who doesn't know, VRBO is a website called Vacation Rental by Owner, and that's what I use to rent the cabins out to people. So, I mean, first of all, Sarah, I have to say, I do love your cabins. I have been there. I mean, I remember a trip we took there after, I think, senior year in high school. We drove 12 hours on our own. The car broke down right outside of Faribault. Do you remember that? That I do not remember. (laughs) I'm sure I was doing nothing. I was just lounging while you took care of it. Um... We were there for like a week with just us and a couple of friends, and it was the first time I really felt independent. And I still think about the thunderstorm that happened during that trip and sitting inside and watching the thunder and lightning, and it was was a great trip, and I love the place. However, (laughs) I do think these cabins are a massive responsibility and drain on you day to day. Yes. I mean, I I can't argue with that. I, you're right. They are. <laughs> They're an enormous responsibility. I think over time, I get used to it. It's been three years now. I have systems set up. I have people in place, everything, you know, with the exception of unprecedented ice events and things like that. Mm-hmm. Everything tends to run pretty smoothly. But like for me... It's just about that eternal balance of what's worth it and what's not worth it. Right. Is it a gift or a burden? Yes, exactly. So it's obviously, in a lot of ways, it's an enormous gift. It's my favorite place in the world. I've been going there since... Totally makes me teary talking about it. I've been going there since I was a tiny baby. It's, you know, all of my memories there, with very few exceptions, are happy memories. When I'm there, I feel a connection to all our neighbors and the generations of people who have been there before. And I want Violet to be able to continue that. Right. I guess what I see is it's really hard to get there. It's a full day of travel. You don't get to go that much because it's so far away. And someday Violet then is just going to have to 
deal with all this. It's like, wouldn't it be better to have something, if you want a second house, closer that you can actually use that doesn't feel like so much of a burden and that's more manageable? I mean, yes. But I also kind of think anywhere worth going is at least a day of travel away. Well, we'll see. There's Uh. where we disagree. (laughs) I like anywhere that's within two and a half hours. (laughs) By car or train. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I get what you're saying about that. I mean, you feel connected to generations. Yeah. It sounds like. Like it makes, like I feel, like it makes me feel bad for you in a way that you don't have that kind of place. Like our, I was just looking um, on Facebook and our friend Heather has like a family place in Canada. Mm. And like there's just something incredibly special about like I'm walking on this road that like I walked on with my grandmother and that right. she walked on with her brother who I never even met. And like my parents' honeymoon was there, which is so weird to me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just like – it has a bigger meaning than just, and it's also like incredibly beautiful. Yes, incredibly beautiful. It's not just like some, you know. But there are a lot of bugs. I mean, there's downsides. Well, there are bugs anywhere. If you well, go, not if you go in to California, Fiji, there are yeah. bugs. Um, <laughs> um, you know, none of the bugs there are going to give me dengue fever. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I feel like that's a win. Well, there's also a very practical element of these cabins, which is. You know, my mom does have Alzheimer's, so when I rent the cabins out, obviously they have to pay for themselves, but it's also about earning enough money to supplement her care as she gets increasingly in need of more and more care, and it gets more and more expensive. So I I definitely like the comfort of having that extra income coming Mm -hmm. in that I know will be there if we need it. You know, there's a possibility I'll have to sell something to pay for her care. So right. I would rather It's wait. an insurance policy. It is, for sure. Yeah. I, I get that. And I also get, I mean, I will say I love the notion of either you or Violet someday getting married there. That would be nice. Yes. I, of course, always dreamed of getting married there. And one of our neighbors actually has this huge bell. It's like a like the Liberty Bell in the middle of the Northwoods. I have no idea where she got it or why it's there. But I always thought, like, that would be so fun to just, like, have a bunch of friends and ring the bell and have a wedding. Didn't happen. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So now, of course, that's, like, Violet's going to be, like, get a lot of pressure in her life. Let's (laughs) pray Violet doesn't want to get married in a loft in downtown Manhattan. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) She's going to have hell to pay. That's right. (laughs) Well, Sarah, I do hope if someday you retire to Minnesota and start a writer's retreat, which you've discussed many times, you'll let me stay for free. Absolutely. You get the friends and family discount okay, for good. sure. <laughs> Ultimately, hopefully the gift part <laughs> outweighs yeah, outweighs the burden part. Meantime, we'll pray that you can take care of that little bat problem. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and we will agree to disagree. To see pictures of Sarah's beautiful cabins, check out her Instagram feed. She's at S. Fane, and I'm at Liz Craft. Yes, and if you want to spend some time in the beautiful northern woods of Minnesota, we'll put all the VRBO links on our website, happierinhollywood.com. Okay, it's time for our weekly Hollywood hack. Today's hack is to write note cards to your colleagues. 
Yeah, this is something we've seen more and more, and we really love it. Um, and it came up because one of the assistants at For the People recently left the show to pursue a great career opportunity. Her name's Ashley Darnall. And when we got to work the day after she left, there was this beautiful little note card sitting on our desk. And it's such a good idea. Yeah, it really makes an impression. And it's not just assistants, by the way, who've been doing this. Like, we had... Um, a writer on the family who is very high level. She's as you know high level as it gets, and she was just helping out for a few weeks. She left everybody a note yeah. when she left to go do her own show. It was just a really nice personal touch, especially in a business where people are constantly moving around. Yeah. It's nice to sort of acknowledge your time together from the bottom or from the top, whichever way it's going. And... Um, you know, say it was nice working with you. Yeah. And this is something actors do a lot after pilots. Yes. As well. We've gotten great notes from actors. It's just a great small thing that you can actually save if you want to that doesn't take up a ton of space. But it's just a nice memory of yeah. your time together. Yeah. I always save the notes people leave us. Yeah. This is something that we should definitely institute for ourselves. Yes, we should. It's hard. You'll have to do the writing because, as you know, I have serial killer handwriting that no one can read, and it will frighten people <laughs> if they get a note from me. Okay. I'll do the writing, and you do the, like, insisting that we do it. Okay. That will be your job. I'll nag. Okay. You nag, I'll write. Well, we will Instagram a photo of Ashley's lovely note. I'm Liz Craft, and Sarah is at S. Fain. And incidentally, we talked about side hustles with Side Hustle School's Chris Gillibo in episode 10, and Ashley has a side hustle making these beautiful cards. So we'll put a link to her website on happierinhollywood.com. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. How do you deal with anxiety? We want to know. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. Is there anything in your life that blurs the line between a gift and a burden? Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. Big thanks to our friend Bill Krebs for talking to us today. And thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai. Also thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Sarah M. Fain and Liz is at Elizabeth Craft. We also now have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Don't forget to join us as we post our self-improvement September pictures every day this month using the hashtag Happier in Hollywood. Until next week, I'm Sarah Fain. And I'm Liz Craft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. <laughs> I'm nervous about this segment. <laughs> <laughs> Sweaty palms. Yeah.